You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome in to the West of the Rest podcast. It's Monday, September 5th, and we're here to kick off your week like we do every week with another episode on the West Coast recruiting. I am Blair Angulo. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Brandon Huffman, the national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. Brandon, what's going on? Blair, we have been saying for since the advent of this podcast that we've always felt we have a missing hole on this podcast. And I, I think we we scratched that itch. I think we have uh, made some power moves in a week. It's it's like it's up there with UCLA and USC going into the Big Ten, our newest edition. I mean, we saw the Lakers last year and what they look like without Caruso. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we got our Caruso back. And, no question. And that would be recruiting analyst, the one and only Greg Biggins. He's joining us here on the West of the Rest podcast. Greg. How are you, sir? You guys are just being silly right now. I do love the Alex Caruso comparison, but I don't think I've, I've, that's just too much. You know what I'm saying? Alex Caruso, a top five player in the league. I don't know if I, if I fit that, but it's good to talk to you guys. I don't have, don't have much of a voice, but it's good to talk to you guys. Yeah, we've been teasing on this podcast for a while. And as I'm sure you know, because you listen to us every week, uh, <laughs> every and you're, week. Also te- you're also texting us every week, asking us when we're going to have you on the show. But uh, we've been teasing that you would be joining us. And, and we're trying to make this more of a consistent and, and more of a, of a habit to have you on this show. Uh, we're going to talk some Pac-12 overreactions after the first week of the college football season. From a recruiting perspective, we're going to discuss some recruiting buzz, some commitments, uh, also look at some prospects that we were all able to see in person over the week. But GB, let's begin with some of those Pac-12 overreactions. Oregon went out to Georgia, and after having so much of that recruiting buzz in the offseason, with the arrival of Dan Lanning, with the arrival of a star student recruiting class and a recruiting staff, and they go out there and, and lay an egg in Atlanta. How much do the Ducks lose in terms of the recruiting luster following that loss to Georgia? You know, I don't think you, you lose much. I think we've talked for years that even having a bad season isn't going to really kill your recruiting class. It's uh, so, you know, obviously one, one bad loss isn't going to do a whole lot to it. You can, there's so much you can still sell. Hey, did you watch the game? You know, we have playing time right now for you. You know, we got a hole here, here, and here. So, you know, obviously I say this might sound contradictory, but I, I think a big win can, can give you a little bit of a bump, but a bad loss doesn't, doesn't really do much for you. I mean, I think, dude, hats off to Georgia, right? That, that looked like a, you know, a top two team in the country easily. And I don't know if anybody was going to beat them the way they looked yesterday. So I think Oregon, the staff, the way they recruit, the way they connect with kids, the, their approach, how they do it in terms of getting kids on campus and just being kind of relentless in how hard they pursue them. They're still going to have a great class. I don't see that loss being too much of a detriment right now. Huff, you are in the Pacific Northwest. What's the vibe? What's 
kind of the the temperature of that fan base? And do they feel like they could be in some of these recruiting battles after suffering what was really a humiliating loss on a national stage? I think there's, you know, panic is setting in already. I mean, people forget Chip Kelly's first game as the head coach at Oregon was a complete dumpster fire. They didn't get a first down in the entire first half. They lost on the road to Chris Peterson and Boise State. And their biggest highlight was the punch that LeGarrette Blunt threw in that game. Three months later, Oregon was wrapping up the Pac-10 championship and playing in the Rose Bowl for the first time in, what, 15 years. So, there has been precedent for Oregon to lose the first game under a head coach. I think what, what really happens is that there was way too much read into the Georgia defense last year and Dan Lanning's presence there. Now, not to say that Dan Lanning didn't have a part. He had a huge part as the defense coordinator. But, you know, let's get something straight. Kirby Smart was the architect of that football program, of that defense. And, you know, he had his hand involved in all that. So they lose all these generational stars. And their defense yesterday looked even better, or on Saturday, looked even better than maybe any defense, other than even the Clemson game last year. What Georgia did on Saturday looked better than anything. So maybe Kirby had more to do with it. And it's not like they were left with no talent. It's not like Oregon is taking over, Dan Landy's taking over a team that Mario Cristobal obliterated. I mean, yes, Kayvon Thibodeau's gone. There were some other guys that left, but you return Justin Flo fully healthy. You have a Noah Sewell. You have several offensive linemen. There were some obvious losses out running back, you know, losing Travis Dye to USC hurt. Uh, the departure of C.J. Burdell. But, you know, Bo Nix is an experienced player. He had familiarity with Kenny Dillingham. And things just went from bad to worse as that game went on. They got to recalibrate. They play a very good FCS program in Eastern Washington before they play BYU. But this is the kind of game that, you know, it, it's kind of that come-to-Jesus moment probably much earlier than Dan Lanning thought he was going to have to. But like Greg said, I don't think there's going to be the long-term effect. Dante Moore isn't going to decommit. If anything, Dante Moore's looking at that offense now going, shoot, you know, I might have a chance to play right away. And none of the other offensive weapons really did a whole lot. So other recruits might think, hey, they're just me away from being a contender each and every year. I think obviously the the topic here is is talent acquisition. And because there's such a talent discrepancy um, among some of these programs, right? Like Georgia, you look at their talent, it's on a different level than even Oregon's talent, which right now, Oregon, you could say maybe has the most talented roster uh, among the West Coast programs. So you go out there, you take that big L, it, it just shows and, it's, and it amplifies the importance of recruiting not only high school players, but the transfer portal and being able to restock and re reconvene in terms of getting more talent in that roster. So I think Dan Lanning did that at Georgia. You know, you, you saw all the pieces there on the field, players that he personally recruited to Georgia. And now he's trying to do that. And and maybe it's it's a wake-up call in, in a way, right? Like it's going to take a little bit longer and it's not just going to be a seamless transition where Oregon is now suddenly going to be a real threat in the college football playoff picture. Right now, sitting at, at number 14 in the composite team recruiting rankings for the 2023 class. You mentioned Dante Moore being the big headliner. Also, five-star wide receiver Jurion Dickey is among that mix. They need defensive players. You know, I, I think that's going to be a big key in this class and, and moving forward for Oregon as they continue to make a push here in, in the 2023 recruiting cycle from one Pac-12 program that went to SEC country and took an L to another one would be Utah. That's now back to 
back-to-back heartbreaking defeats in a national perspective, right? Losing to Florida this weekend, losing to Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Is there a ceiling to what Utah can do with the talent that they get? Because right now they're sitting outside the top 40 in recruiting, and we've always talked about how they do more with less in terms of the stars and in terms of the, the star power that they bring in. And it seems like their coaching and their game plan, their scheming gets them to compete at a high level. But are they just kind of topped out? Are they maxed out? That is a great question. You know, when you talk about what is their recruiting ceiling, you have to understand they're going to have to obviously go outside their state and then jump into Southern California, California as a whole, in order to have success. At a, at a, when I say national level, I'm, I'm talking about playing with, with schools like Florida, who wasn't even ranked, but obviously they still have a lot of talent. Ohio State. Can Utah get to a point? You know, we talked about Oregon, you know, how they're able to recruit at a national level. Can Utah do that? You know, it's it's different, right? I, I think Coach Whittingham has always kind of had a different approach. He always seems to recruit more high character guys that fit the locker room and when you kind of recruit that way, you kind of basically chop off maybe 80% of the players out there, right? He, he wants good guys that are going to compete hard and they always are tough and physical up front, which you have to be. And in terms of just letting those elite skill players, those are the ones that you're, you're kind of difference makers, your you're Clark Phillipses. You need like a lot of those guys and then like the, those receivers that can scare a defense, the, the running backs that can, you know, hit a home run from anywhere on the field. Those are the ones that are kind of hard to find. Like I said, they always develop pass rushers, and I always feel like they also do a pretty good job up front on the offensive line. So kind of a long-winded say, long-winded way of saying, I'm not sure what their recruiting ceiling is or what their ceiling is as a program. You know, the, the, their best teams, I'm sure they can kind of compete. I don't think they necessarily have to go and recruit top 25 recruiting classes to win a Pac-12 championship and to win, you know, to get to a playoff. I think we've shown, you know, Bud Elliott's, I don't know what his, his star system deal where you basically have to have a the, the blue chip ratio. So I think that, you know, their, their ceiling is, is, is still very high, but to compete for a playoff, they probably do need to try to recruit at maybe a little bit higher level. And that's always going to be tough for Utah. Yeah, Huff, you were mentioning the, the blue chip ratio, right? That oh, Utah's never going to be in that picture. They don't recruit to a formula. They don't recruit to uh, appease you know a fan base and going after five stars and four stars and, and winning some of those big battles. They, they make their money on development and they make their money on getting the most out of the Devin Lloyd of the world, right? Yeah. And, and I think if you look at that game, obviously Utah fans would have loved to have taken a win in that game. But, you know, like Greg said, I mean, people act like Florida has been what Florida State's been the last years. They haven't. They played for the SEC championship game two years ago. They lost some guys. Dan Mullen wasn't ever going to get them over the hump that they Florida thinks that they should be over. But that was a talented Florida team. That was a talented Anthony Richardson at quarterback. And Utah still had a chance to win in the final seconds on the road in a place that's much hotter than Utah is in the summer and still almost took the win. So if you're going to lose a game, don't go lose by 46 points on a neutral site. Go lose by three points on the road at a place that's been traditionally very tough to play, which Utah did. And I don't think they're getting, you know, Greg, I know you talk about this all the time when you're looking at the high school rankings that you're doing for the CIF Southern section. If a good team beats a good team, that good team that lost shouldn't take a tumble because somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. Yes, Utah might have been ranked in Florida hadn't but it's not like utah is a bad team we didn't walk away saying hey they're not a good team they find those diamonds in the rough but there is also utah has benefited these last few years from their ascension in the pac-12 where they're getting guys like clark phillips like lander barton like van fillinger and you saw all three of those guys on the field lander barton was the what number one number two player in the state of utah last year starting as a true freshman filling a, a big void on a very talented team so with utah 
the worry for the Pac-12 has always been what's going to happen if Utah ever starts bringing in the quote-unquote dudes in recruiting because they've always been so well-developed, so well-coached, and that's why they've been the most consistent program in the Pac-12 over the last eight, nine years. And I think if you look at that game from Utah's standpoint, that's, you know, yes, there was the heartbreaking loss to Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. There was the heartbreaking loss on Saturday to Florida. But Utah is in those games with chances to win. And again, that might be one of those things where Utah, you started to see them really expand their recruiting reach into Texas, into Florida in recent years. That's the kind of game that continues to make Utah more of a national brand and not just a regional brand. And as you become more national, now you're not getting that second-tier Florida kid or that second-tier Texas kid that maybe the big schools are in the state are, are, are avoiding. You're getting those first-tier kids, and now you're winning those games on the road. And again, kudos to Kyle Whittingham in Utah for playing that game to go on the road and open their season on the road at an SEC power like Florida. I think that's the kind of game that if Utah rips off season wins the rest of the season, that loss is not going to look bad when it gets down to playoff crunch time. Yeah, I spoke with top 24-7 offensive lineman Caleb Lomu from the state of Arizona, an All-American Bowl member, also a Polynesian Bowl All-Star. He, he mentioned that he was really impressed with Utah and he's considering the Utes really highly in his recruitment. He was out uh, at the Swamp as a guest of Florida for an unofficial visit, uh, but was obviously really impressed with what he saw from Utah on, on that national scale. So if you see that uh, from him and you see that from other recruits watching that game, I think it, it really helps the perception of what Utah can be. Uh, and we can m- maybe figure out whether you know they can raise or elevate that, that recruiting ceiling. Uh, before we take a break really quick, Greg, Arizona went on the road. They beat San Diego State. Can that add a boost to the recruiting? And maybe a, a simpler question, is USC back? I mean, I think it might be too early to say if they're back, but I, we've always thought USC had talented rosters. And now all of a sudden you have an elite head coach. They look good. I didn't watch the whole game, but from what I saw yesterday, I mean, they they look different. People will say, oh, it's just Rice. I, I don't really look at the opponent. I, I just look at how they play. And just how clean they looked. You know, the skilled players are elite. Quarterback will be a top 10, five, top five to 10 pick in two years. They still don't have what I feel is a playoff level O-line, D-line just yet. Again, when you watch Georgia, when you watch Bama, those guys just look different up front. But just from a skill standpoint and how good they look, how clean they look, how disciplined they look, I think USC is going to have a great season. Arizona, you know, I think we're all kind of Jed Fish fans and he kind of came in with a lot of energy and recruited hard. And, you know, I think we all like to see that. Dude, SDSU is good, right? They are kind of a sneaky, good team every single year. People outside the West I don't, don't know how good the Aztecs and how good Fresno State are every year, but that's a tough place to go in and win. And they did it. And they did it pretty handedly and they looked very good. So, uh, you know, I do think Arizona, you know, my whole spiel has been, hey, they had a great class last year off of one win. They got to win some games this year. Uh, you can't go back to back years of winning one or two games and still try and recruit. So I said, hey, if they could win five to six games this year, show some progress, they're going to get another nice little bump in their recruitment. And so to answer the question, I do think that win is going to help them. It shows progress. They look good doing it. And I think Arizona, man, maybe, maybe watch out for the cats a little bit right now. Yeah, Arizona, a team on the right especially after that big win this opening weekend against San Diego State and uh, continued to ascend in the recruiting rankings. They are after some a number of, of, uh, of prospects out West and, and particularly in the state of California and Arizona. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to the West of the Rest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We are back on the West of the Rest podcast. Blair Angulo joined by Brandon Huffman and our guest, Greg Biggins. And Greg, recruiting buzz. Do you have any on Mateo Uyangalele and his visit to Ohio State? That was probably the, the, the highest profile visit of any prospect in, in the region this past weekend. You know, I, I haven't talked to him yet. They're still on, st- still out there. He flew out there with uh, Kingston, Villamoasa, and Peyton Woodyard. A couple of uh, teammates who are also elites in the 24 class. But, you know, I know going into that visit, Ohio State was thought to be in a, in a very good spot. And obviously that's not saying, you know, anything earth shattering. Uh, they're one of three visits that he took, Oregon, USC. But when I say very good, I, I, they might be his leader right now. Again, he'll never hear him say that. He's he's very close to the vest, but just kind of some behind the scene buzz. It, it does sound like the Buckeyes are in a good spot. Again, didn't talk to him after the visit. Uh, obviously, most kids take a visit. They have a good time. That was a great atmosphere. I mean, you got LeBron James on the sidelines for crying out loud. So uh, obviously, you got to assume he had a great time. And so if they were going into the visit, maybe a, a, a slight leader, you got to feel pretty good that they're definitely right there and, and maybe push themselves even a little bit more ahead of the other two schools that he's also looking hard at, Oregon and USC. For all the latest on visits, officials, unofficials, game day experiences, make sure you stay locked into 247sports.com as recruits now begin to hit the road and, and to go check out some games, uh, some commitments from over the weekend, a couple actually. It wasn't all defeats for Oregon and Utah. They were the only two Pac-12 schools to pick up commitments this weekend. Four-star defensive lineman Amari Washington committed to the Oregon Ducks. I was actually there when he did it. It was it was a rare behind-the-curtain look for us. He pulled off his pads, revealed a shirt that said, United We Stand with a Ducks logo, and then his teammates at Chandler, Arizona, were uh, all they all jumped him, basically. they It was a mob scene. Uh, it was really, really cool to see him do it that in, in that way in a public manner uh, as the Ducks picked up a, a late commitment on Friday night. And then Roger Alderman, a three-star offensive lineman uh, from the state of California, committed to the Utah Utes. Huff, anything on Alderman and what he could do in Salt Lake City? You know, I, I love that pickup for Utah. We, we talked about it earlier in the podcast about how good Utah is at developing, identifying, and evaluating. Roger Alderman is not a guy that's going to go in and play in 2023. But in 2025, 2026, Roger Alderman is potentially a you know two three year starter for the Utes, and you know he's a guy who early in his career was a defensive lineman. He's 6'5", 245 pounds in the spring. He's up to about two sixty five now, but he's got like an eighty one inch wingspan. He's got this frame. He's got the length. Greg and I got to see him at the uh, ESPN UC Report event up in the Bay Area back in, in May, and you there's just a lot to like there. So as a guy that is he continues to develop physically, ends up being come uh, uh, becoming a staple on that offensive line. Uh, times it looked like he was headed to Oregon State. His old teammate uh, from Sonora High School is up there. Colorado was really heavily involved. In fact, I thought Cal- Colorado 
Colorado had probably built the best advantage after the official visit. He loved Kyle Devan, but Utah, as they're wont to do, they just kind of lay in the weeds and then really ramp it up. And, you know, again, while they, they did take the loss on Saturday, on Friday, they got a nice win in Alderman, who was one of the best, you know, top three or four linemen in Northern California and just kind of a par for the course type of pickup for Utah. Get a guy, let him sit a year or two to, to develop and redshirt and put that weight on, and then turn him loose when he's 290, 295 with that athleticism and you got yourself a star. Yeah, we don't really get to see a lot of players like Amari Washington who committed to Oregon out West uh, and and he, you know, I think it's going to be one of those important pieces for for the Ducks out front on their, on their defensive line. I got to see him Friday against Cathedral Catholic, which is always one of the more physical teams in the state of California and you have to play with good pad level, good physicality, good technique up front um, and, and he did that. He made a number of plays in the backfield. I thought he was explosive, agile out of his stance. So it's going to be really fun to see him in that Ducks defensive front. Huff, you were in Seattle. You made the rounds and you were out to a few games. Give us maybe a, a standout or two from your travels. We got to see Preston Tamua during the summer at the UC Report in Maui. Speaking of uh, offensive linemen that we like, number one prospect in Hawaii in the 2024 class. Looks every bit the part of an elite power five offensive lineman. Played left tackle. Uh, did a, a great job getting to that second level. Just opening holes for IEA Hawaii who came over to Washington to play at Woodenville High School. Thought he looked, you know, just fantastic and every bit what you want a player to look like. And then the following night, Jabari Johnson, the four-star quarterback from Lincoln High School in Tacoma, headed to the SEC to play at Missouri. Uh, doesn't have the weapons like he had a year ago. Jaden Wayne left to go to IMG, so that was one of his big weapons. So Jabari did a lot of the, the work with his legs. I uh, thought he played really well in a, in a very good game on Friday night between Tacoma Lincoln and Auburn Riverside. And then Saturday, I saw the two defending state champions in Washington and Oregon, Bellevue against Central Catholic. Speaking of IMG, Riley Williams was Central Catholic's biggest weapon last year. He's now at IMG, but they beat the defending champs in Bellevue. A great win. Greg's seen St. John Bosco. He he knows what they can do. Central Catholic's going to have a tough time playing against St. John Bosco on Friday night at Autzen Stadium, but you know, kudos to them for taking them on. Hogan Hanson, the four-star tight end at Bellevue, the 2024 four-star. Thought he looked really good defensively, but you know, the, the, the stars shine this weekend, which I was really hoping to see in that first action up in the Northwest. Yeah, and GB, you were at the game uh, of the week, Modern Day Centennial. I had just seen Modern Day the week before in Las Vegas when they when they came back to beat Bishop Gorman, uh, and they did it again. They beat Centennial, and, and they continue to steamroll opponents. I, I guess it's unfair to Centennial, but right now, Modern Day is a well-old machine. Yeah, no, I, I, this was just it was a, 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 just a game was essentially over by the end of the first quarter, which was kind of surprising for me. I had seen Centennial, and I thought they were going to they're going to give them a game. They only lost by six in the playoffs last season and had a, a lot of coming back. But modern day, just they don't have a weakness. And, you know, Eliza Brown was was phenomenal. And one of those guys that if you watched him throw on air at a, at a seven on seven, he'd be like, oh, yeah, he's OK. It's not going to overwhelm you with with, you know, arm strength and whatnot. But in a game situation, he's so good. You know, he decision making accuracy gets the ball down the field on time anticipation. He's, I mentioned that the football IQ, the poise are both off the charts. Offensive line, uh, you know, Coach Rollinson saying it might be maybe one of the best, if not the best he's ever had. Both those two tackles that they have are two elite top 100 kids in the 2024 class, DeAndre Carter, Brandon Baker. They're both top 100 kids and look like borderline four or five star guys for me. Nasir White, who we had in our 2025 top 100, was insane. I think he had probably five tackles for loss. And he just has, you know, David Bailey vibes all over the place. You know, he just flies off that edge and just hits everything he sees. Wide 
receiver core you thought was going to be maybe a weak point, but you know, they even stepped up there. Linebacker Levita Kasua had a really strong game. The secondary was good. I mean, Centeno didn't have a chance. Game, I don't remember what the score was. It was 40-something to 20-something, but it, it wasn't that close. Modern day right now, everyone's already talking about modern day in Bosco in October, potentially at SoFi Stadium. That could be a, a generational game. They'll probably play twice because they'll meet again in the CF Finals, but right now those two teams look like they're on a different level from everybody else, not just out here in SoCal, but probably nationally as well. People are already filling up your inbox asking for tickets for that game, I'm sure. <laughs> I wish. I wish I had a way to of collecting some and then selling them. I'd probably lose lose my job over that, but you know, I could probably make a you know a nice little nice little chunk off of that one. I made the trip down to San Diego, got to see a, a few games, part of the honorable showcase. Two standouts for me, obviously Dylan Rayola, the five-star quarterback in the 24 class, number one overall prospect in that class, committed to Ohio State, was terrific in his first game as a junior, his first game at Chandler since moving over from the state of Texas. He made this throw, guys, where he rolled to his left, escaping the pocket threw off of his wrong foot, uh, kind of leaning to his left, hit a guy, what, 60, 65 yards downfield, down the left sideline for a 78-yard touchdown. And then he sprinted all the way to the end zone to celebrate. I, this is, I mean, I I don't, like if you plugged him into a college program right now and told him to compete for a job, I would not be surprised if he gave a, a college quarterback a run for his money because he's that polished, he's that talented, uh, and physically already looks like 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 Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I, I thought he was remarkable on Friday as Chandler blew out Cathedral Catholic. I also got to see Jaden Rashada on Saturday afternoon from Pittsburgh, California. They also won in a blowout against Liberty out of Henderson, Nevada. And one tidbit, he, he did throw for 300 yards, three touchdowns, was terrific in the pocket, showed all the arm arm talent that, that we've grown to love. But one thing that really caught my attention, guys, was him before the start of the second half was pacing down the sideline from the goal line to about the 15 up and down talking to himself and saying number one quarterback in the country, number five, you're the number one quarterback in the country. So he was kind of prepping himself. And I thought it was really interesting that he was saying that to himself. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of guys maybe don't say, oh, I want to be the best or I'm, I'm, I'm the top recruit or whatever, but he really put himself in that mindset. And I thought it was remarkable to kind of get a feel for his personality and, and his competitive spirit, which we've never really, you know, he's never really lacked that. So uh, the Miami commit, the Miami commit was, was terrific. And, and I think the Hurricanes will have a really good quarterback uh, in the future. Greg, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we should do this more often. I know we say that a lot, but we need to make this a, a appointment viewing or a appointment listening for for this this podcast audience hey next time i promise i'll have a little bit more of a voice a little bit more juice late night last night i'm trying to recover a little bit but like i said i only need like a minute just like way back in the american revolutionary war days the minute man they were ready to go I just need a minute, fellas. You know, I'm always well, ready, willing to join you guys at any time. It's always a pleasure to speak to the two goats. Have a great day. God bless you guys. Great no show. One, no one rallies like like Greg Biggins. Huff, we got about a minute to go. Anything else before we we bounce? I just want to tell Greg, you know, we've been I've been pushing to get you on the show for like two years, and Blair's always the one that's bonked it because he's a Dodgers fan, and sometimes Dodgers fans get a little pretentious. So us Angels <laughs> fans need to stick together. But no, it's great to have Greg on. You know, I think given the the wide, vast geographical region that the three of us cover, I, I love the fact that we can all just kind of bring our collective eyes together and, and talk about the 
the players we saw over the weekend, the games we saw, a lot of talent. I mean, Blair, you got an absolute quarterback bonanza with all the, the quarterbacks you got to see this weekend. And, you know, that's the, the thing about the fall that makes it so much fun. We're, we're done with t-shirt and short camps. We're done with, you know, seven on seven. We're getting to see real football. We're getting to see real good football players. And those playmakers made play this weekend when the plays needed to be made. Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a treat. Remember, if you like the show, please help us out. Give us those five stars and follow the podcast. For Brandon Huffman and Greg Biggins and our producer Lance Galena, I'm Blair Angulo. Thanks for listening to this edition of the West of the Rest podcast.